Dear congregation, because the Lord is a wise and a caring Father, it is, you might say, his regular habit, his regular pattern to give to his beloved children in their different seasons and times of life new mountains to climb and new valleys to walk through in their day-to-day lives. And those of us who know the Lord know that this is the pattern of our Father. We know it in our own lives. But the question that can often come to our minds in times of challenges, times of trials, even the regular burdens of life, is where am I going to find the strength? Where am I going to get the energy to carry on up the mountains or through the valleys that God and His sovereign wisdom has called me to walk through? How am I going to do that without stumbling? without becoming weak and falling, without giving in to temptation, without becoming discouraged and despairing or doubting in the goodness of God. Well, these verses we read this morning, the end of Isaiah 40, are really written to people just like us with that same question. So the title for that I've given to this text this morning is Be Strong in the Lord. Be Strong in the Lord. Our first point this morning will be Your way is not hidden from the Lord. Your way is not hidden from the Lord. Secondly, the Lord never wearies. And he gives power to the faint. And lastly, the command to wait upon the Lord. First then, be strong in the the Lord because your way is not hidden from the Lord. Isn't it at times the case that if we're going through trials and we've been speaking to the Lord in prayer and we've been asking the Lord to change our circumstances that we begin to say things like this to the Lord. Lord, do you not see my life? 
Do you, do you not observe my circumstances? Don't you see what's going on in my life? And, and sometimes we can continue to pray and still no answer seems to be given. And we, we can change our prayer from, from what I just said to, Lord, you must not see what I'm going through. You must not understand what I'm going through. Because you're not giving me relief from my affliction. And when those kind of thoughts and prayers begin to enter our mind, often that can lead us to, to feeling weak. We, we feel discouraged. We feel drained of help and hope from the Lord. Doubt begins to press on our minds. And maybe you are here this morning and that's exactly where you're at in the middle of your trial. God doesn't seem to be hearing you. Now Israel, that Isaiah is writing to here in our text, was really in a very similar place to what I've just described. In Isaiah chapter 40 and on, God through the prophet Isaiah is, you might say, writing prophetically to Israel in the future. It's a future letter written to Israel as they would soon be in captivity in Babylon. God is, if you will, stretching out his ear through time and he's hearing the cries and the complaints of his people that they would soon be giving, given, giving him when they find themselves in captivity in Babylon. And so he, he's responding, if you will, to them as they will be speaking in the future. And his response is to ask them this question in verse 27. And if you have your Bibles open, please follow along as we go through these verses. He responds by asking them a question. Their complaints, their, their complaints and worries have come up. And he says this, why sayest thou O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Why are you talking in this way? And church family, this question that God, you might say, sends back down to Israel, really uncovers one of the great causes of weakness in the Christian life. And that is this deep but unwarranted fear that God does not see us. God does not care for us in our trials, in our troubles. So can I ask you the question? Is this something you need to consider in your life this morning? Do you feel weak, discouraged, drained spiritually, maybe in other ways? Is it because you're thinking, you're speaking, like Israel was speaking here? You, when you look up to God, you, you, you don't say this with your words maybe, but you're starting to believe that God doesn't really see you. He's not really watching over you. 
if you're in this place, look with me a little more closely at these words of Israel, this prayer of Israel. My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. My way is hid from the Lord, even though he is the Lord. Children, you see how that word Lord there is in all capitals? It's the personal name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh. Even though he is my personal covenant God, I'm beginning to believe that he no longer sees my troubles and my needs. My way is hid, hidden from the Lord. And then this second word, my judgment is passed over from my God. That word for God there is Elohim, the creator. Although he's God, the creator of all the earth, my situation is so bad that I'm convinced God is no longer exercising his saving judgment in my life. Effectively, my situation is so bad that God, I believe that God has given up on me. I wonder if that's ever gone through any of your minds before. If it has, what a discouraging thought. What, what a draining thought to have go through our minds. You might say that if, if even the strongest physically, constitutionally, the strongest person you know, when that thought begins to, to grab a hold of their minds, that just drains the energy out of their lives. Maybe in our life here today, we're, we're there and we sometimes say with Asaph, in Psalm 77, I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Or, or maybe you're like Naomi. Remember Naomi? She says, call me not Naomi, meaning pleasant. Call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. That could be you today. But if it is, God comes to you, doesn't he? With a very personal question. He says, why, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Why are you talking like this? Why do these thoughts come into your mind? And congregation, this question of God to us is certainly a rebuke, isn't it? It's a gentle rebuke to us for our doubt. You shouldn't be talking that way to the Lord. You shouldn't be doubting him. And yet, what an encouragement at the very same time. This question of God, because if we're struggling today, the fact that God asks this question means that he actually does hear us. He does hear us. Do you see that? It's evident. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, in this way? In other words, he's hearing you. He hears you speak. He hears you talk. I've been hearing your complaints and your cries as they come up to me. Your judgment hasn't passed over from me. You know, you might be here 
today, or maybe in the past, maybe in the future. And you might go through those times where you, you we, as we say, your, your, your prayers feel like they hardly go past the ceiling. They just sit there in the room with you. They don't seem to make it to God. The heavens feel like brass over you. And yet God says, I hear you. I see you. I know where you are. Your judgment hasn't passed over from me. And this comfort that God gives, even as he rebukes, you see that he rebukes, but it's also a comfort. And he amplifies this by the way in which he talks to Israel. And he talks to us. He, he says, what does he say? How does he talk to them? He says, why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? Two names. Jacob, a reminder of their natural deceitfulness, their weakness, their, their sin, their lack of faith but then also Israel. A word describing who they are as the covenant people of God, called by His name, the people He wrestled with and and brought to a place of weakness in themselves so that they were forced to lean upon God. A people who He saw that we read in the Old Testament lying in the middle of a waste-howling wilderness, lying in their blood, and who He chose to make His own people. The people of whom He says in another place, the mountains shall depart and the hills shall be removed, but My kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of My peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. Jacob, you sinner. Israel, my people, you're mine. My people, I see you. You're weak, you're sinful, but you're mine. And this wonderful love of God for his weak, sinful people, you might say propels God, reverently speaking, to ask this second question and our second point. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. My Jacob, my Israel, have you not been listening to who I am? Don't you remember all that I've done for you? This is what I always do. This is what I've always done. I am strong and I give power to the faint. And God is really here taking Israel's eyes and, and congregation, your eyes, my eyes also here today. And he's, he's, he's taking us, you might say, and he's swiveling our eyes away from ourselves. And he's saying, look at me. Look at me. Don't you see who I am? I'm God. And congregation, in that one act of God, to say, stop looking at yourself, look at me. God is really setting the foundation, the foundation for all true strength in the Christian life. That is, in our times of trouble, to 
look upon God, to turn our eyes away from the storms, to, to get them up away from the fog around us and look up to God. You see, it's actually the weakest people in life who always have their eyes focused on themselves and on their circumstances because when they look at themselves and they look at their circumstances, all they see is weakness. Isn't that true? You look in the mirror, weakness. And so if you only look at yourself, you will ultimately only be weak. But the strongest people get their eyes off themselves and off their circumstances, and they look to the Lord. They're like Jonathan. Do you remember the story, children, Jonathan, when he, when he came to this garrison of the Philistines with his armor bearer? And there was at least 20 of them, likely more. And, and he looks at them and then he says to his armor bearer, come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Why? For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. You say, that's, that's lunacy. Two men versus 20 plus well-armed soldiers? That's impossible. Jonathan says, Anything's possible with God. He's got his eyes fixed on the Lord. And maybe, congregation, God is looking at us in these winter months. Whatever we might have as our own struggle, burden. And he's saying, are you discouraged? Are you doubting? Have you not known? Have you not heard? that the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. Haven't you heard that? Don't you know that? Look away from yourself. Look at me. Look at me. I am God. And first, listen to how he describes himself. First, I am the everlasting God. I'm the everlasting God. The God who lives forever and so by implication doesn't change. I don't change. I'm not going to leave. Other people will change in your life, and they do, don't they? They may even leave, but I will never leave. I will remain faithful. I'm the everlasting God. I kept you through last year. I kept you through that previous challenge. I will keep you through this one. I am Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And I'm second. You see this in, in the verse here. The Lord. The ever, everlasting God. The Lord. The personal name of God. Yahweh. The, the, the self-existent one that's built into that word, title, name. The I am that I am. The covenant-keeping God. My nature, God is saying as he speaks down to Israel, is, is such that I possess life in myself. And my character is such that I never break covenant with my people forever. Can a woman forget her sucking child? 
that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will not I forget thee? Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Other people might break covenant with you, God is saying. And they do sometimes, but I will not. I'm Jehovah. I am your covenant-keeping God. But that's not all. Look at this. I'm also the creator. The creator. The one whose very nature, the one whose, whose great work, you might say his normative work is the work of creating. So you look inside your life. Do that with me for a minute. Look inside your life. Do you see lifelessness? Or chaos? Or darkness? God is saying, look at me. I'm the creator. I'm the one whose, whose habit is to bring light into darkness. To bring order into chaos. To bring life where there's only death. That's who I am. And I can do it again for you. I'm the creator. And I'm also, you see that there, the creator of the ends of the earth. The expression there has the idea of you go to the very end of the earth and you can't go any farther. The, the very last end of the earth. Of course, there's no technical end if you look at a globe. But the, the expression is to say that, that God is the creator of everything in the world. There's no, there's no secret hidden place in the world that hasn't, been, that hasn't come from God's creative Work And by implication, God is saying, because I made it all, I see it all, I know it all, it's mine. And so you can't say your way is hid from me because I'm the creator of, of the furthest ends of the earth. I made even you and your life circumstances. So you might feel your troubles are, are hid even from those closest to you. But they're not hid from me. I see you. I'm the creator the ends of the earth. And then also this. Because of all these things, my Jacob, my Israel, I faint not, neither am I weary. I don't get tired. There's a strength in God that is simply inexhaustible. You can't drain God of strength. You could sooner, children, go over to the Pacific Ocean. Maybe some of you have been there. Take a little teaspoon, a baby spoon, and start to try to empty it out onto the ground. You could sooner empty the whole ocean than even begin to drain God of one ounce of strength. That's who he is. God has spoken, Psalm 62, 11. God has spoken once. Twice, yea, many a time they had heard it, that power belongs unto God. God is saying, I speak and, and galaxies trip over themselves to appear at my command. I simply turn my eyes and angels cover their faces, Isaiah 6, and they, they cover their feet and they tremble in terror at my majesty. I give the word and armies of thousands upon thousands and tens of thousands 
March out, an army before whom the whole armies of all the world through all of time and space would simply vanish before them even appearing. That's the kind of strength I have. And that I'm a God also whose understanding cannot be searched. You know you hear all the time, don't you? Of these new discoveries in science and if you pay any attention, you, there's always this, and rightly so, a, an atmosphere of celebration when these new discoveries are made and we're amazed, rightly so. But God's saying, I know, I know all that. I knew all that when I created I knew it before I created it. My understanding cannot be searched. You can discover a thousand more things in a thousand more years and God will not be surprised. He knows it all. But then he knows it even, not just, if you will, from above. He knows it intimately, doesn't he? He knows it in the person of Jesus Christ. He knows even what it is to faint and to be weary, like some of you, in Jesus Christ. He, he even knows in Jesus Christ what it is to feel that his judgment is passed over from God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He understands. He knows. I am the God whose understanding cannot be searched. But that's not all. It should be enough, shouldn't it, for us? But that's not all. He says, I am a God who gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, I increase their strength. This is my character, God is saying. This, this is what I do as God. I pour into people's souls the same supernatural strength by which I created the universe. Sometimes in Alberta we have these strong winds that come through. It's remarkable, isn't it? Especially for myself being new here. Amazing force, power. That's just a little picture the power of the Spirit of God. And God is saying, I give the power of my Spirit. I, I pour it into the souls of my people. Think of some examples. Think of Moses as he's, he's looking over that battle uh, with the Amalekites and he's lifting his staff over the battle and, and his, his arms begin to get weary. What does God do? Aaron and her come, don't they? They lift up his arms put a stone beneath him. God strengthens him through others. Think of David when he was constantly fleeing from Saul. God sent him Jonathan to strengthen him in the Lord. He gave strength to his people. Think of Elijah. He, he's, he's exhausted. He's, he's full of weariness after this great battle with the prophets of Baal. What does God do? He comes to him. Reveals himself to him. And he strengthens his hand. Think of Daniel and the lion's den children. He closes the lion's mouth. Right in the lion's den. Or, or Daniel's three friends. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They're thrown into a fire. What happens? There's a fourth man in the fire. God is with them. He strengthens them. He protects them. Think of Paul. He endures these shipwrecks and these 
beatings and these imprisonments and this constant antagonism from secular powers and his own nation and even the churches. God continually, miraculously strengthens him. He sends him Barnabas at the beginning and then Timothy and Silas and, and, and the church of Philippi and others throughout his ministry. And at the end, we read as he's on his way to Rome that brothers come out from Rome and they strengthen him. And through it all, it's really the Holy Spirit of Christ in him, strengthening him. God is saying, that's what I do, not just for them, but for you. I strengthen you. I, I give power to the faint. And to them that have no might, I increase in strength. Don't you know this? Don't you understand this? So congregation, you ask yourself the question. Is this what runs through your mind when the discouraging thoughts want to win? You have a God who can help you, who is willing to help you, who is able to help you. Some of us need to be, we need to have our eyes opened to this reality. Our eyes are shut right now. We can't see it. The eyes of our heart need to be opened. We need to be like Elisha's servant in the city of Dothan. Remember the story? Elisha goes there with his servant, and Elisha has been telling the secrets of the king of Syria to the king of Israel, and the king of Syria is getting very frustrated. And finally, he sends an army and he surrounds it a great army. He surrounds the whole city. Elisha's servant wakes up and he goes out to the wall. And he sees this army surrounding him. And however he knows, he knows it's for them. Their time has come. He runs back to Elisha. He says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? What are we going to do? Despair, concern, worry. How does Elisha respond? He answered, Fear not. Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Children, you know how the story finishes? And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around about Elisha. Is that what you need today? You need to have your eyes opened to who God is for you. Well, our text takes this reality concerning God and it. It really puts before us, in our third point, a great choice. A great choice in our lives. In the middle of challenges, valleys, mountains. How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Verse 30 and 31 give two choices. Here's the first one. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. The picture here is really of those who are relying upon their own strength. 
their own natural resources. That word there for youths, you see it there in your Bibles. In, in the Hebrew, that's a general term for young people, children, teenagers, a class of people who have usually lots of energy, lots of energy. But, but what, what does God say? He says, even they will grow very tired. They will faint. Or they will, be, they will become weary. The, the idea there is to become exhausted by your labor, to, to go so far and then to reach a point where you sink down because you can't go any farther. So even the people with the most natural energy are going to faint and become weary. And then look at that next term, the young men. Who's that talking about? Well, the word there is, is a reference to young men who are in the prime of their strength, whatever age that might be, the prime of their strength, the top area of your strength in life. The word there is actually used occasionally for um, people in the ancient world who were involved in, 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 in an elite military group. So you might think today, at least down in the States, of the Navy SEALs. You've heard of them, I'm sure. Young men, the, the, the cream of the crop, the best of the best, the people who mentally and physically have the most energy and strength. God is saying that even those people, you look at that, even those people are going to stumble and fall. They will utterly fall. The idea there is when you're, you're running, you're carrying a weight or something, and, and you run, and your legs buckle beneath you. You, you can't do it anymore. You fall, it's catastrophically even, in an out-of-control way. So what's the picture? God is saying very simply this, that even those with the maximum level of natural energy, even those people with the most giftings and the most strength, the people you might look, look at and say, I wish I was them. Why can't I be them? God is saying they're going to fall. They're going to fall, even catastrophically. No, no one can do it. If, if, if the people with the most energy can't do it, then the point is no one can do it on their own. No one has enough natural resources to, to do life on their own. Everyone at some point hits a wall, whether they admit it or not. They're going to ultimately fall if they don't come to the Lord. Now, do you believe this, congregation? I, I mean this question to you. Do you actually believe this? Not just I say yes, but do you really believe it in your heart? Because sometimes we prove, don't we, that we don't believe it. We wake up in the morning and because we have so much to do, we skip our devotions. Or we go to sleep at night and we don't even take five minutes to cast our burdens upon the Lord because somehow we believe that five minutes of sleep is more important than the supernatural power of God. Or we skip church and we relax at home because we believe that relaxation is more important than having in our hearts the fuel of the Almighty God. And yet, here's the conclusion of the sovereign God who sees us. You're going to fail. You're going to fail, even catastrophically. You're going to stumble and fall 
if you live like this, you're going to faint. It's going to end in failure. So don't go that road. That's not the right road to go. But what's the second option? What's the second option? We have it here. It's the option of waiting upon the Lord. But they that wait upon the Lord, the weakest of people, naturally, maybe. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. What a picture. What is it to wait on the Lord? What is it to wait on the Lord? Well, to wait on the Lord is in its most basic form to trust Him. To take His word over your word. When the lies of the devil fill your mind to say, no, I'm going to wait on the Lord. It's to be like a child who throws himself into the arms of his father, confiding in him. It's like someone who says, Lord, I cannot see how this situation is going to work out for good. I will admit it, Lord, I can't see it, but I'm going to wait on you. Your word is good. My hope, my confidence is in the Lord. That's what it is to wait upon the Lord. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your Strength. What does that look like in your life? Well, instead of getting frustrated with whatever situation you may get frustrated with, means taking it, handing it to God in prayer. Lord, you handle this, I can't handle this. Instead of getting angry with those who mistreat you and taking vengeance on them, saying, with God, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord, and then waiting on him. Or instead of trying to parent in your own strength, Whatever your challenges are, say, Lord, get down on your knees every day, at least once, twice. Say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. You give me what I need and wait upon the Lord. Or think about your business. Instead of running your business according to the worldly principles, to run them upon godly principles and to wait upon the Lord. Or instead of despairing in your sin and lying in it, to, to repent, to confess. Lord, I, I am such a sinner. I can't do this on my own. But Lord, forgive me. And then receiving his forgiveness for the sake of Jesus Christ and waiting upon the Lord. And you could give all sorts of examples, couldn't you? But the point is very simple. When you do these things, when you wait upon the Lord, then you're going to renew your strength. You're going to exchange your power, your limited, fallible power, for God's unlimited power coming into your soul. In the original, it says where you read that 
They will renew their strength. It has this idea of exchanging your strength. That's the original phrase. You're going to exchange your strength. And what does that mean? The idea is that when, when challenges arise and you, you exercise your strength on that challenge, that strength begins to fade. But then you exchange that old strength for a new strength. And you do it again and again and again. And so your, your strength is renewed in the Lord. Now it's true. Anybody who knows this has tried this, who has waited upon the Lord. Sometimes when you do that, you commit your way to the Lord. Your, your outward circumstances might, might not seem to change at times. You might even feel in your life that because you're not trying to take control, it kind of hurts more. And yet inwardly, inwardly, your soul will be filled with the energy and the strength and the power of the almighty God. Try it. Try it in your life. Try waiting upon the Lord instead of waiting on yourself. You will see. He will help you. Think about Jesus Christ. Isn't this how he lived? Waiting upon the Lord. The trials, the mountains, the valleys that he faced, unbelievable. Far greater than anything we may face here today. But he waited upon the Lord and that strength, that carried him through all of life under the burden of the law, under the mistreatment of his own people, Rejection all the way to the cross, all the way to the grave, all the way out of the grave, and now he is seated at the right hand of God. He waited upon the Lord, and he rose up on wings as eagles. Isn't that how we want to live? But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. We know this picture, don't we, of an eagle? I think we've all seen eagles or similar birds. When they take flight, they, they soar into the sky, don't they? And, and obstacles that for us would be insurmountable, they just simply rise over top of them. It's not an issue. And God is saying, that's what will happen in your life when you wait upon the Lord. Or that picture of, the, of the, the walker, or the runner, or the hiker, you might say. We know, don't we, that we, we can train. I don't know how many of you run or hike, but we can train. We can exercise our bodies and, and grow in strength as much as we can. And yet, there are still going to be roads that are too long for us to run. There are still trails that are too hard for us to climb. And yet, the, the great operating principle in the Christian life is that when we wait upon the Lord, something supernatural will happen. We will rise up with wings as eagles over those obstacles. We will run and we're going to keep on running. We're going to walk and we're not going to faint. Because the Lord's power is poured into our souls. And we will discover that as our days, so will our strength be. Don't you want that? Don't you desire that? Wait upon the Lord. Now the reality is, 
that we may do this and we may experience many problems in our lives. It's not like God just simply takes away the crosses and the burdens just because we wait upon him. But if we do that, we will find what the Apostle Paul experienced. That he was, you know this expression, trouble on every side, yet not distressed. He was perplexed, but not in despair. He was persecuted, but not forsaken. He was cast down, but not destroyed. This is what God said to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength, the strength we've been talking about, is made perfect in weakness. So you think about your life. Maybe you don't know the burdens and the challenges that God has for you in the next months or years. But you can know this. That those who wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. And they will walk and not faint. Amen. Heavenly Father, we, we speak of all these things and yet we know the weakness of our hearts. But teach us through thy Holy Spirit, even today, in this next week as the work week begins, to truly wait upon the Lord, to come to him faithfully in our daily devotions, our family worship, and to cast our cares upon him and to find in our hearts that supernatural strength of the Lord. Lord, we need thee, how we need thee. Please do provide. Be especially with those who, who need these words today, who are facing challenges. Lord, strengthen them in the inner man. Please also forgive us for our sins of this day. And also we ask that thou wouldst bring us together in safety also in the afternoon service. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.